Letter from Helvetica, brought to you in association with georgefairbrother.com and shop.saturdaymorningpress.co.uk. Letter from Helvetica by Andrew McIntosh. Starring Andrew McIntosh as John Stotter and Natalie Rolls as Abigail Wesley. Chapter 4 Magical Mystery Tour. Caleb's centipede, you will be reassured, turned out to be a benign beast, albeit impressively proportioned. It was indeed as big as Caleb's forearm, who, while only nine, clearly has his dad's physique and is already entitled to have the word strapping used about him. Caleb is absolutely fascinated by the abundance of unusual, compared with Surrey, flora and fauna. But more of that another time. Right now, I want to tell you a bit more about our journey here and our first sight of the magnificent House Blanc Olfala. When I left you somewhat hurriedly at the end of my last missive, I was just telling you about passing Eritoka or Hud Island. The friendly face of which I spoke last time belonged to a gentleman who introduced himself as Stephen. He told us that he was one of five permanent staff hired by Martin de Deutsch. Not sure yet why Martin should need five permanent staff, but no doubt that will become clear one way or another in time. Stephen is the sort of blessed human who finds something positive in all things, and in most things finds something to smile about. He is about 35 years old with an open face, translucent and flawless chocolate-coloured skin, and a shock of dark brown curly hair that has clearly been a stranger to brush and comb for some years. It is tempting to say that he appears typically Melanesian. However, being the jolly, brainy boffin I am, it would never even cross my mind to say such a very silly thing because Melanesians are among the most genetically diverse on the planet, so there really is no such thing as typical. And they are, furthermore, genetically very different from their Polynesian and Micronesian neighbours. Oh, all right, I don't boast this pearl of wisdom because I'm a brainy boffin. I know it because Emily has been studying it as part of a school project, and she told me. There. Oh, it feels good to tell the truth. Stephen told us that he comes from Malekula Island, but rarely gets back there because he's so busy travelling around in his job with Planta Vida. Most of the time, he lives on the boat. I asked him if it was a wrench moving from his home island, but he shrugged and said that it wasn't so bad. And anyway, in the small islands of Vanuatu, if you want to move, it's not like in Europe where you have to sell the house, identify the nice areas and the nice schools and the transportation length. All you do is buy a plot of land, more often than not, through the exchange of pigs, and then build you and your family a new hut. I mean, even in this day and age, it's really that simple. Well... No, it's not, because most islanders are perfect self-sufficient subsistence farmers and fishermen, so they have to make sure that the land they acquire is sufficiently fertile and that there is some sort of water supply available. Being near the coast, it's usually something of a given, but 
Otherwise, your home is literally what you make it. Look, I'm a newbie here and still flushed with the excitement and the novelty of it all. And I'm sure that there are some big fat downsides. But just right now, it really does seem that simple and uncluttered. And Stephen is quite clearly one happy dude. So he stood with us on the boat and described the islands we passed as we thrust our way northwards towards the Schaefer Islands. Sorry if the next bit comes across as a geography lesson, but if I describe the lie of the land, it might help create a picture in your head. Vanuatu is a Y-shaped archipelago of some 83 volcanic islands, which, if you can remember way back in the mist of time to your school geography lessons, used to be known as the New Hebrides. The islands are divided into provinces and Burbango basically lies towards the top of the stem of the Y in the middle of the aforementioned Schaefer Islands. Burbango is a tiny dot sandwiched between two islands, M.A. to the south and Epi to the north. Here's a map so you can follow our journey with your pointy finger. As we steamed north up Afate's western coast, the next island we passed was again on our right-hand side. Well, they all were, come to think of it. To our left was only the vastness of the Coral Sea. And after that, eventually, Australia. This island is called La Lepa, and immediately above and within spitting distance lies the island of Mosso. Together, they form a natural shelter just to the northwest of Afate called Havana Harbour. Apparently, at one point during the Second World War, Havana Harbour served as a naval base for the entire US 7th Fleet. Big harbour, man, as Stephen put it. Not many people left on the leper now, though. Only about 350, eking out a living from what nature provides. Although Stephen says that as tourism grows in the whole of Vanuatu, it has an effect even on tiny islands like Lelepa. It's only a couple of kilometres from Efate by canoe, and the natives pretty much have a monopoly on day trips to their home, where they take visitors on snorkelling expeditions and show them the lepers' ancient caves with their thousand-year-old paintings and their huge, mysterious handprints, which were, according to Stephen, made by the giants who used to dwell inside and whose spirits live there still. At this last piece of information, Emily smiled politely. Caleb looked both sceptical and fascinated at the same time, and Spot simply stared at him with round mouth and round eyes, just as it should be. At the time, I couldn't quite tell if Stephen had his tongue in his cheek or whether he actually believed it to be historical fact. Richard asked him if he spends his spare time working as a tour guide, given the breadth of his knowledge. Stephen flashed his toothsome smile and said that he is proud of his country and has taken the time to learn about it and its history. He also said that he had a good education that has left him with a mind that is always looking for a little bit more knowledge to be squeezed in. 
As you clear the northern tip of Mosso, you begin to see Anguna Island slide into view to the northeast. And lurking behind that is Pele. No, not that Pele, silly. It seems amazing to think that the pollination of the concept of spending a year in Vanuatu was some 18 months ago now. The ensuing planning was a mammoth task and included figuring out how best to maintain the children's education so that when we return to England, they won't have fallen too far behind the dreaded national curriculum. We had steeled ourselves for a bureaucratic battle, but instead found the kids' school refreshingly supportive, using our impending trip as a springboard for various projects. Idem Emily's knowledge of the difference between Melanesian, Polynesian and Micronesian. M's class had gone to town on learning about the Engunapele Marine Protection Programme, so as we continued to make our way northwards, she stole the opportunity to hold forth on what she had learned about this conservation project designed to protect the fragile reef and the marine wildlife that live on it and around it. Stephen listened intently, nodding sagely as she spoke about the protected areas that Vanuatu has adopted, with great success by all accounts, and about the acidification of the oceans, which is, in contrast, having such a disastrous effect on coral and on fish stocks. She's a bright girl, and no mistake, and I like to think that her erudition is not just down to her schooling, but also to her superlative parenting, particularly on the distaff side. Not to mention impeccable genes, of course. My unimpeachable DNA seemed, on the other hand, to have utterly bypassed my younger two offspring, who, bored silly by Emily's exposition, and indeed bored by what had become, for them, a somewhat repetitive view, had decided to see exactly how long it would take to circumnavigate the boat at a sprint which you'd think would be jolly annoying for the crew of an ocean-going research ship ploughing through the waves of the Coral Sea, but no, they seem to find it highly entertaining. I suspect that some of them were even starting to lay bets. Thankfully, just as they were about to embark on their third circuit, Martin appeared and said, You must come inside now and eat and I realised that none of the family had had anything to eat since that morning in the hotel, which already seemed a very, very long time ago. No wonder Caleb and Spot were being antsy. Let's face it, I'm actually a crap mother. Amazingly, we had none of us yet stepped inside the belly of the vessel, having been too preoccupied one way or another outside, so if you will forgive the laywoman's attempts at description, it has three decks, main, upper and lower, or ground floor, first floor and basement, as I prefer to call it. We entered through the rear door of the main deck and were presented with a salon, which frankly puts our living room at home to shame. Even had a better telly than we do. Forward from that was a dining area with a long table running down the centre, which I was happy to see was groaning with food. And then forward of the seating area was an enormous galley running the width of the boat in which a man and woman were beavering away. Bloody hell, said Richard, which I thought was apposite. 
bit of a sex kitten, isn't she? retorted Martin in his extravagant English accent, which I thought was not. He went on. This deck is the main area for entertainment, unless you are looking for a different kind of entertainment, in which case there are two ensuite bedrooms on the lower deck, and then there is a huge master suite upstairs after the pilot house. Awfully luxurious for a research vessel, I ventured. Being Douglas's pet... I have always felt a duty to keep an eye on the budget, even if I have never been quite sure of the difference between a budget and a parakeet. Well, you know, retorted Martin, a vessel like Gloria is such a huge capital investment that she must pay her own way. Sometimes she is used for entertaining our many clients, and sometimes she is used as a full-on research ship. So for the half of the year, she might be in the Caribbean or the Mediterranean, making investors or whatever feel good about themselves, and plant a vida. And then the other half, she could be any place in the world, being a workhorse in all sorts of weathers. One of the staterooms below can be converted into a laboratory, and we have a full dive platform aft. Right now, we are involved in research, looking at sustainable sources of omega-3 fatty acids and whether they can be sourced from sea cucumbers. You will know all about these wonderful creatures, no doubt. I nodded wisely, thinking the while, see what now? But next year, who knows? We might be sent to somewhere like the Antarctic. Although Gloria is only 26 metres long, she is fully ocean-going and can withstand pretty much anything that nature might be throwing at her. She has a state-of-the-art stabiliser system with active and passive 23-square-foot fins. I turned to Richard and murmured, Well, that's good. I've been a tad concerned about the possible lack of active fins. True, said Richard. Especially as fins ain't what they used to be. If only punching Richard were not such a singularly unsatisfactory, not to say painful, experience. Surely, though, I said to Martin as I looked around at all the Melanesian faces, you wouldn't take the same crew with you to Antarctica. No, no, our crew here is all local people who are on short-term contracts. Short term, if you see what I mean. But when Gloria goes, so does their employment until such time as she returns. All except Stephen, who is here as a permanent project manager. But now, please, please sit and eat. He waved expansively at the spread laid out before us. The kids needed no further bidding and slid along the leather bonquettes in order to start helping themselves to the feast of shellfish and cold chicken, salads, bread, cheese and fruit. Not terribly ni Vanuatu, I thought to myself, but by then I was so hungry I could have happily had grilled rat on toast. Who knows, might find out that's actually a local delicacy. 
Indeed, so famished were we all, and so ambrosial the food, that we missed some of the other islands in our eagerness to stuff our gobs. Like Mateso, for instance, where the evil shark spirit lives, allegedly, and Mekura, with its subterranean volcano. It was as we were sliding past M.A. Island that a shout suddenly went up of, Dolphins! We all dashed back out onto the deck, but were disappointed to catch only the briefest glimpse of some dark, arcing bodies in the far distance. These dolphins clearly had better things to do than to play the giddy goat around our boat, uh, if you will forgive the mammalian mixed metaphor. What we could make out clearly, though, was the verdant coastline of Epi to the north, at which point Stephen came up to us and pointed to something barely perceptible that looked like little more than a mossy rock rising out of the water. Babango, he said, smiling. I was filled with a sense of excitement mixed with foreboding that we appeared to be spending the forthcoming year on something only marginally larger than a boulder. Thankfully, as we sailed closer, it gradually began to take on more bulk and more shape. As Eritoka is like a Spanish hat, so Babango is like a green blancmange. It really could not be a more simple nor more satisfyingly uniform shape. In the centre proudly stands a dormant, one hopes, volcano, the top of which appears to have been lopped off by a single swish of a giant sabre. The sides of the volcano drop precipitously down to the fringing coast. As we sailed ever nearer to the southern seaboard, we began to make out the most exquisite holiday brochure perfect white sand beaches. Not that common in Vanuatu as it happens. Big birds lazed and circled on the updrafts. Trees clung to the sides of the volcano at seemingly impossible angles. My God, it's beautiful, I enthused. Martin, ever the pragmatist, said, This side is nice, yeah? But the other side is very rocky and really quite dangerous, so you might want to miss that off your sightseeing. Gloria, her engines reduced to a slow, rhythmic throb, edged closer to the shore, until suddenly they were shoved into a high-rev, roaring reverse thrust. Crew members bustled on deck, and we heard the rattle of chains as her two anchors sploshed into the sea. Smiling Stephen approached. You folks about ready? he asked. Um, responded Richard. Fond as I am of swimming, any chance of getting closer? Absolutely none, replied Stephen. Ship's draught not deep enough, so you're gonna have to get wet now. And you better swim fast, because this is known as... He paused for dramatic effect. Shark Island. I had to hand it to him. He was good. All three kids went for it, hook, line and sinker this time, showing expressions of horror, fear, indignation and suddenly released wind. You would think that they would have had enough practice being wound up by their father, but Stephen was new 
and they were easy prey. Seeing their moon-like faces, he broke into his dazzling smile and said, Maybe you prefer to take that dinghy that's hanging off the back of the ship instead? Realising that they had been well and truly had, the children did a collective groan and Spot, being of an age when such a thing is still possible, punched him on his thigh, which of course made Stephen laugh even more. Come on, he said to the three of them. You guys can help me lower the rib into the water. We'll take you up the lagoon to the house and then we'll come back for your luggage and bring it to you. Off they trooped, leaving me and Richard to share a moment together. Bloody hell, he said. Not a bad place for you to have your new office, you jammy bugger. I know, I replied. Do you think you'll be able to cope? I'll, uh, I'll try. He said, I'll be very brave and I'll put up with it all, somehow. Proffering my arm, I asked, shall we then? You have been listening to Letter from Helvetica by Andrew McIntosh. Starring Andrew McIntosh as John Stotter and Natalie Rolls as Abigail Wesley. Brought to you in association with georgefairbrother.com and shop.saturdaymorningpress.co.uk. The series is produced by Oliver Crocker, co-produced by Rob Cook, Tessa Crocker, Michelle de Souter, Bryony Kelly, Tracy King, Paul Morris, Triona Palmer, Laura Pinifay, Lee Pointer, Valerie Rolls, Julia Thurlow and Andrew Ruff. And executive produced by Andrew Dyack, George Fairbrother, Edward Kellett, Sophie Pycroft, Amanda Rotherham, Kay Scoble and Michael Seeley. Next time, Ride a White Swan. If you'd like to binge Series 1 of Letter from Helvetica, you can unlock all eight episodes and behind-the-scenes content on patreon.com forward slash letterfromhelvetica. To support our development of Series 2, we are accepting donations via coffee.com. That's ko-fi.com forward slash letterfromhelvetica. Helvetica.